Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. All right, welcome to the Ville Church. If this is your first time, we're glad to have you here. Um, so listen, um, this is what I want to say first and foremost. Like, our name change today is not a replant. Like, we're not replanting the church. This is not a new church at all. Like, we're, we're the image church, and this is a next step in our mission to see the gospel move forward. And, um, and I'll explain a little bit more why we actually changed the name and felt it was necessary to do so. Um, I'll say this. Like, if you notice, we kept the colors like the black and yellow. I, w- I wanted to actually do that because we wanted to actually, um, well, let me say it like this. Some of y'all went around, so you didn't know Matt, who actually founded the church. But Matt's like a great friend of mine. Um, he founded the church probably about coming up on four years ago. And so then I came in, and we actually co-pastored the church for a while. And um, it's one of those crazy stories where uh, God just had him walk into my life. I never thought I was going to be pastoring the church, let alone this church. And before I even knew him, he walked in my shop one day, and he was like, I'm here to plan the church, and you're the other piece to the puzzle. Um, some of y'all heard that story before, but like just thinking about it now, how significant and crazy it is, it's like, I was like, no, you, no, you're not, and I'm not a piece of no puzzle, brother, like, and then here I stand right now. Um, so I think that he was very sober with the calling to come actually plant this church, um, and I think that we found um, unity and why this church was to be here, the community it was supposed to serve, um, that it was pretty much supposed to pursue those who are not being pursued in the gospel, is supposed to pursue a harder context or a context that we would say to ourselves feels very neglected by the gospel and, and being pursued by churches because of economical reasons, all type of reasons or whatever. But we felt like, and, we, and I still feel to this day, that is why the Ville Church exists. Um, so we kept the black and yellow because we wanted to remember where we came from, all right? Y'all like that? All right. So we got, the, we got the V on there. I just wanted something that people could see and really know. Like when they see it, they know who it is. You know what I mean? You turn it to the side a little bit, it looks a little bit like a squirrel. You know? And it's, fun, it's funny. It's funny. Where's Liam at? Where's Liam at? Because you, Liam, hit that squirrel squad call on him. Hit this, you know the squirrel... Hit the squirrel squad. There's few people. It's an it's a underground network inside of the church called the squirrel squad. So that's a little slight. When we see that, we all know. It's like. I'll, I'll, show, y'all a, I'll show y'all a call one day. You know what I mean? Um, so that's, that's, that's pretty much that right there. And, and, and so as far as the name, it has two meanings, basically. Um, the slang term for it is basically just short for the Ville. And um, we liked it because it's easy for people to adopt it, and it already has traction. People already use that term in the streets, um, and, and I believe it actually is, it, you know, it, it's diverse even in the way it's used in a slang type of way. And then on the other side, the proper meaning of it actually means the city. So it's a French word with a, with a Latin, a Latin uh, beginning, and so it means city. And we're for our city. Um, one of the things that happens with churches when you think through branding is if you're sitting inside of the room, everybody's like thinking about how to actually market to churches, like to church people, which is pretty ridiculous, right? When you think about the calling of the church to go spread the good news and preach the gospel. But we, so, you know, normally it's like, you know, 
Let's name the church the holy network of spiritually advanced beings blessed by the Mother Mary of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? For the saints, church. That's usually what you, you know, if you mix up what happens in the room, that's where it usually goes. And so I'm like, nah, man, it's crazy, whatever. So, and if you look at what happens in the church, even with growth today, most church growth is actually transfer growth. I mean, some statistics say that literally, like when a new church starts, 90% of the members straight off the bat are coming from, um, coming from other churches. And it makes sense because we're usually marketing to church people. That's what we have in mind when we're creating branding. And so we didn't want to do that when we came up with the name for Ville Church. We wanted a name that was actually functional with the mission that we have. And so the Ville, with it meaning city, we thought it was perfect since city is, is part of our mission and who we're pursuing. Um, and, and, and also, y'all have heard me say this before, when I think about us mirroring the gospel and what Jesus has set an example for we saw Jesus, I mean, he came, he came from his throne, he came from heaven, he became a man, he walked on the earth. He basically came from his posh, that's, I don't think I should call heaven posh, Lord forgive me, all right. Let's just say he was chilling like a villain up there, all right? He didn't need nobody, he didn't need nothing, all right? All right, so he's up there, but he actually leaves his throne. He comes down to earth. So he basically comes down to the hood, like, you know what I mean? This is the hood for him. You know what I'm saying? And so he comes down or whatever, and he takes on the flesh of a man, and he walks the earth. And he takes the long walk with this into the kingdom, all right? And so we really wanted to mirror that. We wanted to do something that can land in the street, people grab a hold of it, and then, and then we, could, we could work out the rest or whatever through relationship. You get what I'm saying? So we didn't want to go to Holy Tabernacle and go that route type deal, all right? So y'all tracking with me so far? All right, cool. All right, and so um, another part of the Ville Church is that when we want to use it functionally as a standalone brand. Um, that's why you see the V. You see the Duval in the back with the V on it. Um, we wanted to be able to take it and use it from a church standpoint as the Ville Church then actually use it alone as the Ville. And there's a reason for that. Um, I think in this days and, day and age, like when we actually think about just like, I don't know if any of y'all been looking at the news lately or whatever, but the streets are pretty mean right now. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I think church, the church functionally has to come up with ways to start creating bridges and having conversations. Um, I think the way it looks like is the way it looks is we have conversations, we build relationship, and then we can actually give people the gospel. But because the day of just, hey, we're the church and everybody piling in does not really, really work anymore. And um, so we wanted to do something different. So using the name Ville um, and the branding for the Ville lets us do a marketing strategy that we're hoping will create conversations with the church and with believers. But fact of the matter is, how many of y'all were around for straight and narrow? So if you don't know, so Straight and Narrow is a clothing brand that um, I, I used to run. I still have it, but we used to have a store downtown. A lot of the stuff I'm telling you, um, I approached that brand with this same type of thinking. It was a clothing brand, but I was a Christian with a clothing brand. So I used my store for Bible studies. I used it to, we fed the homeless. We partnered with nonprofits. We did all type of stuff. But my, my initial thinking with it was the exact same thing I'm telling you. And um, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm looking at the streets. I'm looking at what's happening. And I'm like, how, does, how do we infiltrate what's going on with the gospel? And so I used the brand to do that. Um, and I could have just said, like, you know, I could have did my whole Christian T-shirt thing or whatever, but I didn't do it that way. I did it. I was strategic with it, and, um, and I just made stuff that created, from a creative standpoint, was just beautiful, and it made conversations, and it worked. And then people ended up in Bible study. Some of the people in this room right now 
came from this exact thing or whatever through the Bible study, and we made a relationship, and therefore the gospel was shared. And so um, I'm really adamant about taking this route in this day and age right now, and I think the beginning of 2017 is the best time to do it. Um, so y'all with me on that? Okay. All right. So let me just push on this a little bit more, right, on the why on this. I've always said this. We're engaged in a war, a territorial war, all right? And the territory we're fighting for is people's hearts. And the same old, same old just won't cut it. We're dealing with communities that are basically like a city without walls. And if you've got a city without walls, an army, an enemy can just walk right into it, right? So you're dealing with fatherless homes. You're dealing with despair. Um, you're dealing with hopelessness. And that is the context that our church actually sits in. But I would, I would make the argument that it's actually something that is a, like a thick cloud over our whole entire city. Um, and that's why I believe the need for strategy is so important. Um, our churches are overrun with biases and all type of sins that are just tripping up the gospel going forward, right? So you have the sin of comfort, right? Like, like this stumbling block that sits before us because we don't want to give up our comfort to pursue those that need the gospel, all right? That's a big, big problem. People in the world see it. They point it out. You have a racial division. I don't even want to use a word like that and make it cute. Like, we have blatant racism in the church. It's one of the most divided days in, uh, of the week. Um, you have elitism. You have classism, all right? You have partiality, economic division, hyper-religiousness, and powerless doctrine that doesn't save anybody. Um, it's not okay. Like, it's, it's not. It's not okay for us to, as the church to be okay with that being the norm. Um, and so us changing the name is functionally a part of us being proactive to really go at that um, and, really, and really bring change to that. So, you know, one of the things I'm just saying is that playing church is over. The day of playing church and the day of playing church for us is really, really over. I think it has been for a long time. Um, you know, one of the things that was going on last year with me and Jeremy, once we came, once I took over the church, I felt like God has just been extremely gracious with the gospel that's been being preached in our church. Um, and I think it, it has a particular bend to it that I think when people come in, they can taste it. But I feel like God has slowly but surely been stripping us of our religiousness and getting to the real more and more and more and actually tapping us like, Will you die to yourself to see my mission come into fruition, right? Will you actually see my vision, right, come into place? And so so when I, when I say that to you, I, um, I don't know how it feels in the seats, but I know just from my standpoint, like I don't never feel like we just like, man, we have like these smart ideas and we have this amazing sermon, it feels like God literally feeds us to it. So at the end of the day, it's kind of, you get left in awe, and you're like, man, God, it's amazing what you're saying to the church. It doesn't feel like we're saying, it feels like he's giving it to us. Um, and so with that, it's just this, I feel this responsibility to communicate to you and also for myself to take stock where I feel like God is saying like, yo, stop playing around, like get after it like you're about it for real, all right? I wanna read the scripture to you real quick. 2 Timothy 4 says this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, 
who is to, to the, is, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from the list, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in the myths. As you as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul is basically telling Timothy, like, homie, figure it out. Do the work of an evangelist. He's saying, take your calling very, very serious. Be sober-minded about what's going on around you. So when I tell you, I'm like, yeah, it's not okay. I'm saying it's not okay for us to functionally move forward as, we're not, as if we're not sober about what's going on around us. We're not sober about how many people actually don't know Jesus Christ. We're not sober about, about the sin, right, that is, that is hurting people even in the middle of our context. But God is calling us to actually be sober and walk around and know that. And, um, and so I just think that's important, and I, and I just want to push on that pretty more, pretty, some more. But when it, comes to, um, when it comes to the vision of our church, I, as I started to work on this sermon, I really don't have something new and amazing to tell you. Um, we got some lights in here. They're awesome and all that. But there's, no, there's nothing better than what I'm going to tell you about Jesus than today or whatever. So I'm going to preach to you about Jesus Christ because that's the vision. And if we're going to be honest about it, church's problems are not the vision. You go to any website and you see pretty much the same thing. We just changed the lingo around a little bit, right? It's like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, you know, ours is see and show people Jesus. It's probably the best out there, but, you know, I'm a little biased, but, you know, you know, people do what they want to do. But all I'm saying is this right here. We all say we want to see, see Jesus and we want to show people Jesus. We want to learn more about Jesus and we want to spread the good news of the gospel. That's what we're called to do, to grow in Christ and to spread the good news of the gospel. And we say it so many different ways. So I don't want to come give you a brand new vision. Um, at the end of the day, we want to take it and contextualize it for where we're at as a church, of course. That's the obvious stuff. But, but what is God actually saying to us? And what is really the problem? If we're all saying the same thing, and apparently we agree, yeah, we need to be sharing the gospel, there's something else going on with, with why this doesn't happen. If you look at churches today, I think right now you have... 3,000 churches open in a month in the United States and 7,000 closing, just to give you a perspective. Like the game is not working no more at all. It's time for something new. It's time to flip the script and do something different. And so as we go forward, we're going to talk about vision and stuff, but I'm actually going to talk to you about your vision for where you see yourself in, the, in God's vision for the church because we all know what it is. We all know that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel. We're supposed to be getting closer to God. But, like, where do you see yourself in that? And that's what I want to push on today, okay? Y'all with me? Okay. So um, let me just start with this. So the other day, I was on Facebook, and I, um, I'm starting to realize how many of my sermons start with a Facebook argument. <laughs> Somebody take note. I might need to check that out. All right. So I'm on Facebook, and I'm looking at these people going back and forth or whatever, and, um, and the context was they were talking about um, 
these uh, young black kids that got in a fight, right? And I'm looking at the Facebook posts, and I'm looking at the comments, and I should have never kept looking at it. And I'm looking at it, and before you know, I'm posting. I'm yelling with my fingers, and I'm getting at people and, and giving them the business, right? And then it's after I, after I hit sin, I couldn't sleep no more, you know what I mean? It was just messing with me for the next, next couple of days. And then um, the person, one of the people, matter of fact, not even the person who I was speaking to, somebody else on the thread responded to me, right? And they, you know, and they went to go tell me off and all that, right? So I'm like, okay, all right, all right, we got this little ballot popping here, okay, okay, all right, you know? And so, but when I thought about what they were saying, right, I was like, man, if I'm going to be honest, I can understand why they're saying that. And I can get why they're upset, because I get upset like that too. So I kind of found myself in this kind of schizophrenia in this situation where I'm like mad at them, but I'm also finding this understanding for their side as well, right? Um, but I'm also finding the disgust in the whole process, because basically what was going on was this thing where it was just no mercy. Like, you know, I said to them, I said, yo, you, you, you are talking about kids. Like, yeah, they did mess up. If, if they uh, did the crime, then they're going to end up just doing whatever they got to do with it or whatever. But they're still kids. They still need somebody to love them and everything. And, um, but in even getting mad at them, I saw my lack of mercy, Right? I saw my lack of mercy. And so it just sat with me. This isn't brand new for me, and it's not brand new for something that I've talked to y'all about. But it made me sit and really, really think, especially as I started touching on this sermon right here and start touching on this message when we're talking about vision and the problem in the church. And I really believe, like, it's number one, it's self-righteousness, and it's that we can be so merciless, right? We can be so without mercy on how we love people. Um, the Bible says all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. But I want to show you this really quick inside of, um, we're going to be going through Jonah, um, the book of Jonah, whatever. You can go to, go to verse 4. I'm going to read verse 2, 8 through 9 real quick. Jonah says this. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He says, but I, will voice, I, I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay. I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So I thought this statement was so intriguing because when I was reading it, one of the things that came to my mind, I was like, this, this idol of comfort and this idol of self-righteousness, it like leaves us with a pitiful perspective of God. Like what Jonah's basically saying, he's like, he's like, our regard for idols, idols such as um, protection of ourselves, not esteeming God as sovereign and powerful um not esteeming god as even being the ruler of your time every day but us falling to pieces from a stress standpoint like we mess around and cause ourselves not to see the power of god because we're always trying to keep it together we're always trying to hold it together and he's like saying he's like these vain idols that us as men have no control over they're causing us to have a really pitiful perspective of God, and we're missing out on the juicy good stuff. Y'all get where I'm coming from? That's what he's saying. Let me just read it back to you really again because I think it's an amazing statement. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love, right? 
So here's the thing. Only problem with this thing is for Jonah is that it's a, it's a true statement, but Jonah shows us in chapter 4 that he actually thought he was paid up, right? Because at the end he says, he says, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice you what I have, sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Um, Jonah actually thinks like he can, like he can pay up. Like he thinks that he can actually pay up. It's obvious he's like a man of God because God spoke to him. God uses him. It doesn't make him a man of God, but like he, he's talking to God, right? He's talking to God, but nevertheless, we're about to see his heart. And the reason I'm showing you this, I'm going to just go let the cat out of the bag before we go through it. Like, this is the church, and I want you to think through that as I'm rolling through it. Jonah's like, he's very much like us, where he is absolutely running from God. And he's running for two, for two reasons. Comfort, he's uncomfortable with what God has called him to do, and he's also, he also has no mercy inside of him. Now watch this play out, because when it comes to the vision of God and the vision that God has called, that he has for mankind, why he created us for his glory, this is the, this is the thing we stumble over right here, all right? So, so long story short, Jonah goes to Nineveh, right? Um, he tells Nineveh, he tells the people of Nineveh, he says, he says it's going to be 40 days before you're overthrown because of your sin. The king repents. Right? They repent. These crazy people who Jonah just thinks are absolutely disgusting and wretched before the Lord, they actually repent. Right? And this is what Jonah says, right? It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in the country? This is why I made haste to flee Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So this, he just read off these, he, he just stated all these beautiful attributes of God and then got mad about them. You're slow to anger. Your love is steadfast. You relent from destroying stuff. And I'm mad about it. You get where I'm coming from? This is what he's actually saying, right? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? I can't believe he's not crushing him right now, but he should crush me too. All right, anyway, let's keep reading. So Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for, him, a booth for himself. He sat under... He sat un, under it in the shade till he, could, he should see what would become of the city. It's a straight brat, right? It's a straight brat. That's us. It's a straight brat, all right? And then it says, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So this is God. Mercy to this brat who he has a right to crush, right? You see it? He should be crushing him for such disrespect. Same way he should do us, but he doesn't, all right? And verse 7 says this. 
But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah's wild. It's a wild dude, all right? Jonah's extra, he's disrespectful to like the seventh power. Like it's really, really crazy, okay? And, I, and, and God, I think for this very moment that we're standing in right here to use this as a testimony to, to, to us that will be looking back on this, is showing great patience to paint a picture to us, right? In verse 10, he says this. It says, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So in verse 2, he starts off and he's talking about this vain idol, right? He's talking about this vain idol that we get caught up in and we miss out on God's steadfast love. His vain idol is his self-righteousness, right? He's missing on watching the hand of God restore these people and, put, and, and lavish them with mercy and grace they don't deserve because in his self-righteousness, he actually thinks he deserves it. Even though he just ran from God and got saved from a belly of a well. That's how wicked our heart is. That's how wicked our heart is. That's how rebellious we are. And so when you walk as a believer, you have to walk lightly with fear and trembling before the Lord. You have to walk lightly with fear and trembling because our flesh is deceitful. It's deceitful. It's deceitful. And like you have to know that you're capable of doing this. We read a story like this and we're like, Psst, that's so stupid. I can't believe this guy or whatever. Like why would he not want to see those people being, being saved or whatever? We do this all the time. This is what I'm trying to tell you. This is what I watch happen on Facebook. I watch myself do it and I watch these people do it. So when you talk about being a light in this world and in the darkness of this world and confounding people's mind, it looks like mercy to people who don't deserve mercy. That's what's significant about the gospel because it's good news not to people who meet the mark, but it's, it's good news to people who are beyond way off the mark. They, they, they actually are dead, all right? They just haven't journeyed off the path and they need a little bit of encouragement to get on the path. They've actually, they're actually dead. Like we were once dead and now we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. You get where I'm coming from? So if you want to talk about what insanity is, insanity is this wretchedness in our heart where we don't lavish people with love when we've been lavished such, with such a great love. Do you all get where I'm coming from? But we need to notice about ourselves because it's not that it won't show up or you can protect yourself and be so good from it, but you can constantly keep yourself at the feet of Jesus and allowing him to wash you, wash you with his blood and, and with grace and mercy, right? If you really think you need mercy, you'll give it 
and not just the people you pity. Matthew 5, 7 says this. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you actually endeavor to love people for real in the purest way and not in a way that serves you, that will pay you back later on, but in a way where you are actually sacrificing yourself and you are actually living out and modeling the way that Jesus Christ died for us and, and gave of himself, you will find it is actually impossible to do it without the power of God. I can say that and not even, and not even flinch at it, all right? I get people pat me on the back like, Jay, man, you just love people so well all the time. It's an absolute lie. It's not the truth. Because I, I get so many phone calls, I'm like, I hate people, Lord, what, like, whatever. Sometimes I have to wrestle with my flesh when people call me and they're in really, really jacked up situations. And I'm in the middle of an episode of Sons of Anarchy, brother. Because it's that wicked. My flesh is that jacked up. So when I go running out the door, I'm not running out the door because I'm good. It's the power of God. There's no other way to actually approach this. That's it. That's it. We're deceiving ourselves if we think we're just going to just champion this thing. No, he's going to champion this thing. His power working through us. And that actually calls for us to be submitted before his throne, right? But to be sober-minded. Sober-minded is not that we are good. It's that he is good. And God, nothing goes down without your power and without you working through us, all right? Some of us right now are dealing with stuff or whatever, all type of sin issues and things that we're dealing with and everything, and that sin is besetting us, and it does all type of stuff, and we can't functionally jump in because, like, man, we're dealing with all this stuff. Keep staring at Jesus. I promise it'll change. Whether it takes 10, 20, whatever years it takes, but his grace is sufficient, and if you keep looking in his eyes and you keep staring into his word because this, his word is him, if you keep looking in his word, it actually has power. And one of the problems in this argument is that we have to stop looking at how we're going to work it out and realize that he's actually the savior. So he is the power. He is the power. He has the power to change. He has the power to save. And so, but do we, are we going to call on the Lord? Let me just read this to you. Luke 6, 27 through 36, 36 says this. It says, love your enemies. It says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Try that without the power of God. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. I meant to skip over that part right there. Okay. And from, from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you, good, do, good, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from who you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. For, but love your enemy and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Listen to this last uh, statement. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. So when we look around and we look at churches today and we look at where we're at in the United States, and I'm just generally speaking, 
if there's any stumbling block that stands before the church, it's because we actually have missed the vi- God's vision plan, all right? Like, that's his plan right there. It's that you actually love people that don't deserve to be loved, as you don't deserve to be loved, right? Um, you love your enemies. You do good to those people who actually hate you, right? Like, we, we are caught up in this carnality that has become normal and regular and everything else inside of the United States, but the church has just joined into the current of it all. And therefore, it's lost its power because it's not, that's not supposed to be the case that we are just, somebody steps on our toes and then we're with our, like, yo, so-and-so stepped on my toes and this and that, and man, can you believe they did me like this? Yeah, it's the world. The gospel says it's broken and sinful and evil. But we, in, our na- in, in being naive, we keep getting slapped in our face like we don't notice. And if anybody's supposed to notice, we're supposed to notice, right? So what I'm pushing on you about is have you accepted your calling in God's vision? Like, are you digesting this word when it comes to what you're called to do? Because we have to be ready. It's hard. The, the context we're going to step in, people are going to, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be rejected, you're going to be mocked, you're going to be attacked, and people are going to take advantage of you. But God is not saying that's not a reason for us to run. It's exactly what we signed up for. And if it's not what we signed up for, then maybe we have a different perspective or, 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 we, or we're living in a false perspective of what it means to be a Christian. Like, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's something that we really, really have to deal with going forward because when it comes to loving the people in this city and and pursuing this context and seeing and showing people Jesus, if anything's going to flip it up, it's for us to be living in this thing where we think that being smacked around a little bit is not a part of the process or being hurt by your brothers and sisters in in the church. We got the sharpest swords around and we cut each other and it happens and God is not unaware of it. He calls us to love each other. He calls us to be humble, to talk to each other, to confront each other, to have mercy towards each other. That is the power of the church because we live in a world where you trip somebody or you hurt somebody's feelings and then it's off with your head. So the power of the church is mercy, forgiveness through Jesus Christ who did the same for us. Are you all with me on that? I can't... I can't um, I don't feel like I can push or state that enough how important that is. Um, can you hear me? All right. Chantel, did I send you that, um, what Jeremy sent me this morning? No? One of y'all, will y'all go grab my phone out the back? I want to read this real quick. Sorry, y'all. Oh, here we go. What's up here? Something I want to read to you. My boy Shirk Dog sent me this this morning to uh, encourage me. It says, uh, nothing matures you quite like faithfulness amid discomfort. For too long, the mantra in Christian culture has been secret sensitive and have it your way. The mentality has been consumer comfort. Find a church that meets your needs. Find a church that feels like home. Find a church where, they, where, they, where the worship music moves you, the pastor's preaching compels you, and the homogenous community welcomes you. If it gets difficult or uncomfortable, cut ties immediately. A dozen other options await. But this model doesn't work. 
Not only is it coldly transactional, what have you done for me lately, and devoid of covenant commitment, seeker-sensitive church attendance is basically a Hollywood marriage without a prenup. It's also anti-gospel. A true gospel community is not about convenience and comfort and chai, and chai lattes. I, I agree with everything he's saying besides that. We can, ain't nothing wrong with a chai latte. In the vestibule. It's about pushing each other forward in holiness and striving together for the kingdom. Joining along in the ongoing work of the spirit in this world. Those interested in mere comfort and happiness need not apply. Being the church is difficult. If you ask me what, the, what I have envisioned for this church this year, like I'm praying for us to die to ourselves. I'm praying for us to die to ourselves. I'm praying for myself to die to myself, the stuff that easily besets me or causes me to trip. I'm praying that we would actually take this thing very serious. Um, we are called to be in the army of the Lord. Um, and and uh, I don't mean that in a cliche, corny way or whatever, but the fact of the matter is, if we don't take that serious, then maybe we don't take the commander very serious, or we're not seeing him clear. And, uh, and so I, I, I plan for us to lift God up in a way that's very, very real, where his cross is exalted, um, his sacrifice on the cross for us is made real, in a way that causes our flesh to melt off, um, and for us to lose confidence in ourselves. Um, that's it. I have more here, but like I said, I don't... I don't want to hit y'all with an awesome speech. My heart is heavy for the church. I want to get closer to God's vision. I want to get closer to what he's saying for the church. I want to actually really see and show people Jesus. Um, and, I, and, and I want to do it in unity with the body of Christ. I, want, I can't change every church around here, but this is the church I lead. And if I'm going to lead us anywhere, um, this is where I'm going to lead us to, to see Jesus more clearly. Um, but I just want us to really digest those words in a very sobering way and the responsibility it means for all of us. Um, let me read this scripture really quick before I step off to 1 Peter 1.13 says this. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, pre excuse me, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Church, what I would encourage you to do is um, be vulnerable for the gospel. Be vulnerable for Jesus Christ to use you. Um, what Jonah was saying is that, man, God's steadfast love is amazing and it's intoxicating, but you won't see it protecting yourself from him using and working the way he works. And the way he, we can't write another scripture for um, we can't write another recipe for how this works. The recipe is what it is, and the recipe is that we actually die to ourselves and follow the Lamb of God who died for our sins. Y'all get where I'm coming from? Like, there's no other, there's no, there, there's nothing else in the Bible where there's a church that does something different. There's no hidden autopilot. There's no hidden cruise control and just coasting. It's the, the word calls for us to take responsibility. If we say that we're believers, we're called to take responsibility and we're called to love people that you may not even feel deserve to be loved. People that may hurt you, people that will bite you and fight you back and everything else. That's what God is calling us to do. So 
that's what I'm encouraging us as a church to do.